may take your seat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Lord, open our hearts, our minds and our spirits to hear and receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're doing this series on the Beatitudes and last week our focus or the verse was Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for you will be filled. Now that word righteousness in the Greek also means justice. But most of the translators translate it as righteousness. But there's a big difference between righteousness and justice. Righteousness is more of a personal thing. It's about our relationship with God. Whereas justice is a macro community thing. How we relate to people around us and we perceive God's ways in our community. So I want to focus on the, the justice aspects of this verse this morning. Justice involves working for the good of the whole of society and trying to put things right, trying to fix things that are broken. Social justice flows out of God's love for people and it's about seeing God's kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. Brian Zahn puts it like this. He says, Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Do you want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? When you see injustice, do you thank God, what do you want to do about this? How do we resolve this situation? You know, there are people that think, well... There's a verse in the Bible in, in Matthew 26 verse 11 where it says the poor will always be amongst us. So people say, well, you know, we've just got to accept the fact that there's always going to be poor people. And so we don't necessarily have to do anything about it. But Jesus is really saying that those who are aching for the world to be made right will ultimately be satisfied. And so the very first four Beatitudes, they focus on our need for God's comfort, for God's strength, and today for God's justice, so that we can be blessed, happy people, filled with the love and grace of God. So the whole of this Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, is really an expression of Jesus' social and political views. And Jesus was ultimately executed for expressing these views. You know, the rich and the powerful, those people who are the most advantaged in our world, can feel quite threatened by the Beatitudes. Many people become rich through exploiting the poor. You know, Helen's mother is, um, she'll be 90 on Christmas Day. 
And uh, she's living in Tauranga in her own little flat, but she gets this mail order stuff coming to her all the time. And it's advertising these little trinklets. And because she is housebound and not able to go out shopping very often, when she sees something that she can buy by mail order that's glittery and exciting and could be a, a birthday present for a granddaughter or something like that, she sends off and buys it. But she's got very poor memory and she can't even remember that she bought it. But then when she gets this exciting thing in the mail, she's excited until she sees that it's just junk and that no one would want it anyway. And so we try to get those people to stop sending her those letters, but they keep on coming. And that's a, a way that elderly people are being exploited these days. And there are all sorts of ways. You know, often desperately poor people are forced to do desperate things, like get involved in drugs, the drug culture. You can make a bit of money by selling the drugs. Or, in the case of prostitution, selling your body. Our oldest daughter went to Cambodia to do research for Rahab Ministries on young women that were being rehabilitated after being involved in prostitution. And so here's these poor village girls. And the options for them are minimal. They can work in the paddy fields and, and etch out a living. But there's a wealthy man on the other side of the river. And if they cross that river, they can go and work for him. But sexual favours are part of the job. So desperate people do desperate things. And life is miserable for many, many people. If you are on the minimum wage these days, your chances of buying your, home, your own home are very slim. And so you will be renting all your life. Even when you retire and you get a minimum pension, how do you exist if you don't own your own home? And so some people are advantaged. They're educated, they're skilled, they're earning big money. There are other people for whom life is very, very difficult. Some of you know the musical Les Miserables, where a man steals a loaf of bread for his family, gets caught, ends up serving years of hard labour in prison. And when he gets out of prison, he's got a criminal record. And they're looking at him, and if he does anything wrong, they're going to jump on him and put him back in prison. And so there are those people in our society that are privileged and there are other people for whom life is extremely difficult. When uh, we were in Brunei, one of our teaching colleagues was a man called Pete Greener. And he went and uh, lived in Lombok in Indonesia. And he had a, a cafe and a nice house. But then in the earthquake his house was laid flat. And they had to get out of the area because they were worried of a tsunami. They had to go up to higher ground. And they found that his house had been looted while they were away and that the papers showing the ownership of his house had gone. And so when it came to sort of rebuilding uh, and all this sort of stuff, he had to produce those papers. 
And eventually the person that stole them came to him and said, I'll sell them back to you. How much will you give me? And so in many countries there is terrible corruption. Thankfully, New Zealand is regarded as the second most, second least corrupted country in the world. So our culture and our work values are shaped by our spiritual values and our life experience. In the past, we have been a Christian country. People, when they look at us from a religious point of view, they would say, New Zealand is a Christian country. A few years ago, that was changed. And we are now known to be a secular country. But our culture and our family values affect our values in life. Now, I've mentioned before that my dad was born in 1920. He's uh, passed away now. He's gone to be with the Lord. But, so he sort of experienced the depression of the 1930s and the Second World War. And there was a lot of hardship in his life. And so as a Baptist minister with six children, we didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things that my friends were able to do. And so when I was old enough to get a paper run, I finally was able to have my own money so that I could buy those things that my mum and dad couldn't afford to buy for me. And then I got a job in a fruit shop. And, and so I grew up being quite frugal in the sense that I recognised the value of money and I never wanted to be stuck in my life in the position where my parents were, where they couldn't do things because of a lack of money. I wanted to be able to give my own children everything they wanted that was good for them. And so our upbringing and our culture affects our values in all sorts of ways. And a saying that a lot of people use these days is short-term pain for long-term gain. And that's people that go off to Australia and work in a remote village in the mines. And they don't have much of a social life, but they work long hours and they save a lot of money so that when they come back to New Zealand, they can buy a house. And we get overseas workers coming to New Zealand now. And this is an amazing opportunity for them to save money, send money home to their wife and their family. But there are people without schools who can't get a well-paid job, who will be suffering from financial stress for all of their lives. It's interesting because things are starting to change in New Zealand. And there have been four um, people convicted of human trafficking in New Zealand. And all of those people, those four people, were foreigners to New Zealand. They've come from a country where if you are corrupt and you can take money from someone by fraudulent means, then you're regarded as being clever. And the person that you've ripped off, it's their fault for being naive. 
And so people are bringing those sort of values to New Zealand, where people on kiwifruit farmers, farms, foreign workers, work long hours, have their passports confiscated, and are getting less than the minimum wage. And so we've had very strict policies about these things in the past, but now there are people that are coming into this country with different value systems that are taking advantage of our naivety. When we were ministering in Baku, someone from our Filipino community said, look, there's a, a lady in this town, a friend of ours, who only gets out one day a year. She's working full-time for this family. They've taken her passport and they won't release her. And so one of our elders went round to that house. They'd told this woman that to, be expected, to, to expect to be picked up at this time. This man went into the house. He got this girl, took her out to the car, took her away, then went to the people and said, look, what you're doing is not right. Uh, we're going to expose what you've been doing unless you give us the money for her airfares back to the Philippines. By taking that action, this man who was an American was taking a big risk. He worked for an oil company. He could have lost his massive income and been the person that got sent out of that country if the person who was looking after this Filipino girl had been connected to the police or royalty in any way. Malachi chapter 3 verse 5 outlines how biblical justice involves defending the rights of the poor and the migrant. It says, The Lord Almighty says, I will appear among you to judge, and I will testify against those who practice magic, against adulterers, against those who give false testimony, those who cheat employees out of their wages, and those who take advantage of widows, orphans, and foreigners, against all who do not respect me. And so this actually addresses minimum wages and social welfare and right treatment of immigrants to New Zealand. So Jesus advocates both personal righteousness and social justice. Now you've got to look at things from the point of view of the Galileans in those days, the people of Israel. They were actually slaves to the Romans. But when we look at ourselves today, we are more like the Romans. We've got status and privilege. We're the people who actually control the system. Do we turn a blind eye to corruption? Are we apathetic about things that don't directly affect us? Do we ache over the brokenness and injustice in our world? On a global scale, things are far from okay. 16% of the world lives on less than a dollar a day. 40% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. 80% of the world lives on less than $10 per day. We are highly privileged in this country. We are in the top 5%. And every day, 17,000 children die of starvation. 
And for each of these children that die of starvation, the nations of the world are spending $176,000 daily on security. I mean, isn't it crazy that we've got people dying through lack of hunger and we're building weapons to defend ourselves? Surely their lives need to be a priority. So we can pray, thy kingdom come, thy policy be done on earth as it is in heaven. And rather than believe the lie that change is impossible, that things have to be done the way that they are, one day the kingdom of God will come and bring transformation and justice into the world. But change doesn't happen overnight. Ideas are planted, cultivated, and then a harvest follows. God's blessing depends on people in every generation walking in the ways of the Lord. Jesus walked the talk. He acted out what he believed. Our Christian faith is a great restraining force on our society. You take Christianity and Christian values out of the equation and we will have chaos. Jesus' life was a revolutionary statement. It, he lived a life quite different to the social behaviour of the day. The Old Testament law was based on repaying evil with punishment. And it could be summed up by the verse, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye, oh look, there's Peter Kahui, makes the whole world blind. <laughs> Gandhi achieved social change through ex exercising passive non-resistance. Jesus showed love, compassion, justice and humility. He inspired people to want to be like him. Jesus frequently said, you've heard that the law of Moses says, and then he would go on to say, but instead, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different to anyone else? So Jesus promoted and inspired social change through the way he lived. And we can ask ourselves, as a follower of Jesus Christ, am I different to most other people? Jesus was a social activist. He stood for justice. He loved the orphan, the widow. He helped the poor and oppressed. We can also live extraordinary lives by doing good. Helping people caught up in hopeless situations. Living out principles of justice and compassion. Living in other countries has shown me that many Western systems are extremely inefficient and wasteful. In our country, we have the nuclear family where one generation, husband and wife and children, live together. In other cultures, they have the extended family. And older people, grandmothers, granddads, have a place in the household. 
They're able to help with childcare. They're able to help with cleaning and looking after the place. Our society is filled with people who are lonely, shut away in rest homes. We've brought upon ourselves systems that we think suit ourselves, but they're not really biblical systems. The Bible is about living in community. And other countries do things way, way better than we do. It's interesting, you know, you look at Auckland and how it's spread outwards. And New Zealand has had this cult of the quarter acre. Everyone wanted their own quarter acre of land. And as a result, our cities spread out. And most cities are located where they are for th because of three reasons. One, a port. Two, a river. And three, fertile agricultural land. And so most of our big cities were surrounded by really good fertile land so that they could grow the food supply for that city when it was, was initially founded. But now with this urban sprawl, all that class one agricultural land, horticultural land, is getting covered with concrete. Thankfully, they finally realised in Pukekohe, they grow the best potatoes in New Zealand, and they've said from now on, no more houses can be built in Pukekohe. When we were at Rotorua Baptist, there was a guy in our church called Len Harris, and he, he's, he had a, a block of land just outside of Rotorua, just in Nongata. And he said, what I want to do with my land is I want to build a Christian community. I want to make this land available so that we'll, we'll set it up initially with sort of dormitories and a cookhouse and a dining room and a recreation room. But anyone who wants to come and build a chalet on this property, they're welcome. And in some ways, it was a bit like the old-fashioned Maori marae, where you provided a good kitchen and social area and sleeping accommodation. And while we've been living in overseas, on two occasions we lived in apartment buildings. In one of them we were on the sixth floor of a 12-storey apartment building that housed 120 families. And the other apartment we were on the second storey of a four-storey building that had two luxury apartments at each level. There were eight families living on the equivalent of one section here in Topol. But it was efficient, and it meant that we were high up, and we had a view. We had a supermarket underneath us, and the big one, and a, and a gymnasium. But here in New Zealand, we're, we're locked into, we've got to own the land. And land has been available to everyone, and cheaply available in the past. But now... For many people buying new houses, the price of land is half the price of the property and it's expensive. I had someone come to me a couple of weeks ago saying, look, now that we've got a new door um, to our upstairs Koru Lounge, why can't we allow the Koru Lounge to be used to house the homeless? A place where homeless people can sleep. And I said, well, if that was to happen, 
we'd have to change our insurance policies. There would be a whole lot of health and safety requirements. My uh, daughter worked for uh, Tahu Lovell when they were doing the treaty settlement for Tuwhori Tower here in Taupo. And local iwi own billions of dollars and lots of land. And why can't we go back to a marae, urban marae style way of living to provide for the basic needs of people that are struggling? I've been asking a few questions about homelessness in this town. And apparently, according to the police, there are six homeless people, two of them, uh, four of them homeless by choice, when it get, comes down to the real thing. Most people do have other options that they can use. But there are needs that need to be met in this area. But the thing that amazes me is our God is a creative God. He created this world. He can give us creative ideas. It's exciting to hear about the Moore girls um, being so successful in their cooking and they've... Uh, They've made up these snack boxes that you can buy with healthy food and they've hit on a really good idea that will make them a lot of money. They have an entrepreneurial gifting. And as believers in Jesus, we also can have creative entrepreneurial ideas where God puts ideas in our minds that if worked through can solve problems and turn this world into a much better place. Look at this um, prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. It says, Here is my servant, whom I strengthen, the one I have chosen, with whom I am pleased. I have filled him with my spirit, and he will bring justice to every nation. He will not shout or raise his voice or make loud speeches in the streets. He will not break off a bent reed or, nor put out a flickering lamp. He will bring lasting justice to all. He will not lose hope or courage. He will establish justice on the earth. Distant lands eagerly wait for his teaching. You know, when Britain colonized the world, they took the gospel with them. They went into pagan countries where there were headhunters and there were all sorts of crazy practices. They brought the God. They brought the justice of God. And there were incredible changes that took place. And we carry that in our DNA. But we're starting to lose it. It's being eroded away. Being social activists doesn't mean that we cause a commotion by shouting loudly in public. It means just living out what Jesus places in our hearts, being intentional about positive changes that affect others. The spirit nature desires all that God desires and fulfills these through daily decisions of obedience. So I just want to briefly show you the four practices of justice. First, we need to become aware of the issues. 
Because God's heart is always with the poor and those in need. We don't take God to those in need. God is already there. We look for what God is wanting to do in that situation. Secondly, learning. We take opportunities to serve and learn and grow. Develop an awareness of the needs around us, the people in our neighbourhood. Learn the names of the people around us. Listen to their stories. Number three, reflecting. How do we feel about working for the good of the community? Spending time processing and discussing what we're learning and actively helping people in various ways. And number four, action. What next steps do we need to take as we serve others? You know, it's great to see the, the number of people from this congregation that volunteer to help with our community meal on a Monday night and those that come along to talk to people at our drop-in centre, the, the well, on a Wednesday. But you know, the opposite of social activism is apathy. And as believers, it's easy to say all the right things, but to actually do very little. And I can be guilty of that myself. We're to give a reason for the faith and beliefs that are in us. But Donald Miller says, the greatest trick of the devil is not to get us into some sort of evil, but rather to have us wasting time. This is why he tries so hard to get Christians to be religious. If he can sink a man's mind into a habit, he will prevent his heart from engaging with God. God has amazing plans for our lives, but we need to step up to make them happen. Matthew 22 verse 14 tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. Now what does that mean? This is a verse about a king who organized a wedding feast for his son. He invited everyone, the rich, the poor, the good, the bad, the street people. They were all invited at short notice because the king's other guests, special guests, refused to come. Let's read Matthew 22, verses 11 to 14. But when the king came to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, what is it that you are, that, why, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? And the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind him hand and foot, throw him out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So I've often wondered why the king was so annoyed about this man just wearing ordinary clothes. Clearly there was special wedding clothing that was supposed to be worn to such functions. And by not wearing his wedding clothes, he'd turned up to the feast, but had put no effort into preparing for it. So in actual fact, the chosen choose to be chosen. And this involves preparation. This involves practicing what we're preaching. It's interesting also that two and a half million Israelites left Egypt with Moses. 
planning on entering into the promised land. God led them on an amazing journey, but only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, actually came into the land. Many gave up in the wilderness. So God invites us to a place where he wants to use us. But many people lose sight of the promise and they give up when things get tough. God has called each of us to serve others and to live lives that bring glory to him. Are we walking into that place where God wants us to be? Have you had a prophetic word spoken over your life? What are you doing about it? Let's determine to move closer to the Lord and activate and possess his promises. We can be people whose actions inspire people to want to know the Lord and to be like him. Many important changes in society have come about through committed Christian social justice activists. People like William Booth, who did so much for the poor in England. Elizabeth Fry, who brought about prison reform. Prisoners just used to be dumped in a prison and forgotten about. And all this uh, programs that we have in prisons now of reconciliation and training people so that they can cope uh, with life. William Wilberforce with slavery. When I was a teenager, there was a woman in New Zealand called Patricia Bartlett who made a stand against pornography. She knew that this was going to have far-reaching effects on our society. And she held back the tide for a period of time. She was ridiculed. But now we're starting to reap what's been sown. We're seeing the full consequences of pornography in society, which is an addiction that affects many, many people. So the lives of these people inspired others to stand up for justice issues and to stand against those harmful negative forces that are attacking our society. R.F. Kennedy said, Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. And in the total of those acts will be written the history of this generation. Are we just going to sit back and see society slide? Or are we going to stand up and make a difference? Let's pray. Father God, you have asked us to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly in your sight. Help us to be a church that defends the weak and helpless. Release creative ideas among us so that we can be strategic and effectively counter the spiritual attack that is coming against our society. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.